Live from Playwrights Pub at Chicago Dramatist. You're listening to Small Fish Radio Theater in Thespin Area. We're your hosts, Verzovi and Green. Sharing their talent with us again are our very own vagabonds of vocal versatility. Miss Kitten von Stuben. And Joy Terbjörnsen. Coates. Small Fish Radio Theater in Thespinarium is here to give voice to smaller varieties of artistic fish. In the big pond. Varieties like playwright. Poet. Storyteller. And musician. Tonight, Small Fish Radio presents a live recording of their latest podcast. What about love? And mind you, love is defined very loosely, and it is not, I repeat, not a Valentine's Day show. In fact, this is as far from a Valentine's Day show as we could get. Right. Tonight, you'll hear four short plays, plus... The next episode of The Adventures of Skater Girl. A poem by Will Cooper. Stories by M.T. Cazola and Herzovi himself. And, in addition to our usual riffs and melodies, some original songs from a little group named Time and Trouble. All of them very loosely based on matters of the heart, romantic and otherwise. Emphasis on otherwise. Well, we got a lot to share, so let's get cracking and set the tone with a poem by Will Cooper, read by our Miss Kitten, accompanied by Tom Weber. Will Cooper writes plays and poetry and lives in Chicago. How we say the word is how we see the world. Our mind's compass swings to the heart. The map we follow, our longings arc. Like lips or lash of eye, the constellations of our lives, the sun and moon we travel by. To find love only, love and love only. You know, I love so many other things, too. Yes, I, I'm sure you do. It's wonderful, isn't it? Having such love in your heart. Yes. It's expensive. Turns you into a fool. <laughs> it turns you into a fool. A fool for love. Oh, I've been there. I've done that. Not doing it any time soon. How about you out there? Ever been a fool for love? Where's the best place to be a fool for love? Any ideas? All right, I know that you've the done bathtub. something embarrassing in your life. Let's hear it. A shed. A shed? A shed? A lawyer's office. A lawyer's office. There we go. Nice. And on the other end of the spectrum, nightclubs are full of opportunities to make a fool of yourself and then forget about it the next day. Everything is different in a nightclub. Oh, dear. Not the place to be hunting Prince Charming, let me tell you. Well, I doubt we'd find Cinderella in a nightclub either, would we? Here we are with the first play of the evening. Club 950 by Helen Valenta. Helen is a network playwright at Chicago Dramatists. She has an MA in writing and spent many years as a novelist before jumping ship to become a playwright. Well, clubbers, here we are back in time to when we were cool and hung out at places like Club 950 on Wrightwood Avenue. Back then, the only important thing in life was to be cool. 
Everything was so simple then. Or was it? Here I am hiding in the ladies' room at Club 950 because I'm freaking out. My friend Ray is waiting at the bar for me. Ray's very young, very pale, and very large. He's pale from staying indoors, eating triple bacon cheeseburgers all the time. I, I find that refreshing in a young person, the total disregard. But tonight, as is often the case in friendships between men and women, I am convinced I am in love with Ray. I mean, Ray knows the meaning of all sorts of words like entropy. He believes that we're all falling through space, but doing it so slowly we're not even aware of it. I want to see what he's made of. What he'd be like if he would devour me like those bacon cheeseburgers he loves so much, throw me down on the floor and then wipe his lips, or, or would he be tender and touch me as if I were made of the soft paper the burger came in? Oh, this could be bad. What took you so long? I don't know what you women do in the bathroom for so long. I'm on my second drink here. We reapply our makeup just in case we see the perfect man. I don't think you have to worry about that in here. Jeez, how many Bud Lights have you got there? The line was so long, I stocked up. What are you drinking? Diet Coke. A grown man should not drink Diet Coke. We're in a punk club. Show some class. Why? Who cares what drunk people think? It's not like they'll remember anything in the morning. How come we don't have dates? We haven't had the fortune of meeting people so unworthy they date us. You know, what did you just pull out of your pocket? It looks interesting. Looks like you got about seven little pills there. I don't know what this is. It could be speed, or maybe it's Valium. But if it's Valium, <laughs> why would it be in my pocket? Wouldn't I have already taken it? It's probably just one of your iron pills. It is green. I wish it were a Valium. There's nothing better than doing an antidepressant when you're in a good mood. Are, are you in a good mood now? I can't tell. Ray, you're always in a bad mood. I know. That's why I'm here, trying to forget my problems. It's so loud in here I can't think. And not thinking is the way to true happiness. So what do you want to be, up or down? Oh, but you just took those out of your pocket. So? They have lint on them. They're drugs. You're worried about dust? <laughs> you don't mind inhaling dust? You're inhaling the microbes of the air as you sit there. The fabric of the air is dust. The spores, molecules of old drunks are floating here. Aww. Just past your shoulder. They're entering your ears and your eyes. <laughs> You're breathing an entire human being through your left nostril. The remains of desiccated violets, hummingbirds, all dust. You know what I like about you? That is probably the one area I can't attempt an answer to. You are a lethal combination of bad and very, very sweet. I gotta dance. Come on, come on, dance, come on. Where does the sudden attraction come from? He is dancing like an angry matador, and I am the bull he is rushing toward. Suddenly, he's very appealing, like a refrigerator door left open to reveal a chocolate cake. But if I open my mouth and proclaim my son in love, I can watch my friendship walk out the door, all 300 pounds of it. Ray, you are like the greatest dancer ever. I gotta sit down. I feel numb. You do? Boy, are you lucky. I don't feel anything yet. 
Sure you don't want one of these before I drink them all? I don't mean the drugs. What do you mean? Spiritually, at the very core of me, I could be a mahogany coffee table. Ray, I need to tell you something. Don't. Do you feel something different between us tonight? I don't feel things. I just exist. Oh, how come you know so much, Ray? I'm a recluse. It frees up a lot of my time. Don't you want a girlfriend? I find the company of man to be tedious, and neither fear nor courage saves us. Ray, that's beautiful. It's, it's also T.S. Eliot. I feel like punching someone right now. Whatever happens, we'll always be friends, right? What's with you tonight? You took one of my Xanax, didn't you? I was saving that for Christmas. Do you have any idea how gruesome that holiday is when you're not on something? Ray, what does what entropy mean again? It means degradation, disillusion of matter, of anything that matters. Ray, I have to tell you something. Don't. I don't want to hear it. I'm in trouble here. Do you understand? No. Aren't you attracted to me? You're an attractive woman. That's not what I'm asking. I know what you're asking. Don't you understand at all? No, I don't understand anything you're saying. You have nice breasts, nice legs. Is that what you want me to say? Have you been listening to me? This is the last time I ever speak to a man again about my personal feelings. Listen, Chrissy, I have a problem. I can't have sex. What? I'm in therapy. I'm what they call a sex addict. I can't touch anyone, all right? But you're a human being. What about a little affection? For all intents and purposes, right now, I am not a human being. Well, what are you then? I don't know. All I know is my head's in a very bad place. I have to cut myself open to see if anything's inside. It's the only way I can feel anything. T.S. Eliot was right. The world's a wasteland. But Eliot also said you can... Wear a white jacket and walk along the beach eating a pear. A peach. Isn't that hopeful? No. <laughs> a part of me knows we may have nothing, but this is the kind of moment you are not aware of these kinds of thoughts. They are the thoughts of a reasonable person, a person who is not you. But you can't spend your life wondering. You have to do something, even if it degrades us and ruins all matter and energy. This is the moment I try to kiss him. Stop it. I can't. I tried to tell you. I tried to tell you. I'm sorry. Sorry about everything. He is picking at something on his hands, and whatever it is he's picking at falls to the floor, along with the dusty remains of hummingbirds, of violets, and of things that will never belong to anything again. Substance of the air. What are you talking about, Ray? You with your your great vocabulary. My hands are just ragged claws scuttling across the sea of skin. Stop it, Ray. Stop quoting Elliot. I have to be in control. I will be in control. He swings around my demented matador, and I see where his fist is heading for the plaster wall, and then his fist is through it, and there's a large hole where there once was white space, and there is no sound except for the sound 
of something giving way. And it is only loud if you are very close to it. As I am. Well, sounds like she's waking up to breakfast a lot. Personally, I like being part of the Breakfast Alone Club. More for me, you know? You know, if one simply skips breakfast, one doesn't have to deal with the fact of eating it alone. <laughs> breakfast is the most important meal of the day where I come from. And here to sing about Breakfast Alone, we'd like to introduce Time and Trouble. Time and Trouble is chic Chicago Chanteuse's Linda Solitaire, plus songwriter Tom Weber on frets and keys. Either or both appear at the Edgewater Beach and Eastgate Cafes, the Elbow Room, and clubs beginning with letters other than E. <laughs> Time and Trouble is joined by the young and gifted John Lawler on bass. Though my new solitude makes my daytimes a bore, my evenings empty, my nighttimes a chore, there is nothing I mourn like our mornings of yore. Sweet honeydew tastes so luscious when you serve it for two, but turns to mush soon as the twosome is through. Don't you hate having your breakfast alone? Oh, you hear is your own thoughts of the past put salty tears on your scone your honey's on the toast not the phone that won't ring hey that thing hear me sing about the bitter brown grounds and the sunny side downs and the dawns that used to be Rub and sleep from our eyes Half an hour before we'd rise Now I throw on my clothes When reveille blows in the morning for me Morning for me Is sitting staring in my black coffee cup And softly swearing how I hate to see That morning sun come up You know, to tell you the truth, I really prefer brunch to breakfast. That's because it's late enough to have a drink. Yeah, that eases the pain. Indeed. Our next play is about a man who should have had brunch alone. <laughs> Tough Neighborhood by Peter Thomas. 
Peter is a Chicago playwright who does not believe sparrows talk very loudly. In the sauna, after a racquetball game, we join a couple of guys rehashing a weekend brunch that took a surprising turn. Jeez, Bert. You really kicked my ass today. Need a bigger racket if I'm gonna return your serves, huh? You're really wailing on that ball, real gusto. I suppose that means things went pretty well yesterday, huh? Mm-hmm. So? How was she? Fine. Come on, Bert. Hey, put some more water on those rocks, will you? <sighs> my favorite part of the racquetball is hearing all about your weekend during the schmitz. You gotta give me a little more than fine, Bert. There was plenty of cantaloupe. Oh, now we're talking. <laughs> what else? Uh, some French cheeses and toast. Woo-wee. It was a beautiful morning. I bet. How was your weekend? Never mind my weekend. What was she like? Nothing happened. You said it was Wicker Park. Yes. She's a Wicker Park lady. Something happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something happened. See? What's her name again? Victoria. How was your weekend? It's not Victoria, is it? I thought it was Penny. Patty! Wicker Park Patty! She lives in a third floor apartment, right? I'm just trying to get a good sweat going here, Mitchell, okay? You had brunch in a Wicker Park penthouse? I bet you ate in the sunroom. That's right. The light coming in, branches swaying in the breeze. There's a stack of Swedish pancakes there for the taking. So, did things progress? You said last week, Wicker Park brunches have a way of progressing. Sure. Yeah. Woo. I'll have to get myself invited to one of those Wicker Park brunches. Yeah, maybe you should. Oh, jeez, Bert, take it easy. Yeah, I'm just trying to clear my head, okay? Oh, you don't think I'm trying to horn in, do you? I mean, come on, Bird. How long have we... I'm, I'm sorry, Mitch. It's not you. It's the sparrows. The what? The sparrows. Right in the middle of brunch, they tap their beaks on the window. She turns around and she says, Isn't it just darling how they bump up against the glass when they play? Ooh, they're doing more than playing, aren't they? It's clear as day that they are not That's playing. what I mean, Bert. They're doing the devil's business. No. <laughs> No, these sparrows are looking inside, trying desperately to get someone's attention. They're practically screaming. Screaming? We've got no hands. We've got no hands. Frantic as can be. Y you mean they're talking? Well, I could hear them, but I don't think she could. What did you do? What can anyone do? No, no, I mean, did you tell Patty what you thought they were trying to say? Oh, God, no. I said, how cute. Good move. They were hideous. <laughs> I'm sure they were fine. They've got real problems, I'm telling you. Well, the ones in my neighborhood do okay. I mean, sometimes you'll see them bickering a little bit. Yeah, what do they say? Well, you know, beep, beep, beep. Probably trying to figure out where to get food and twigs. They have to build houses with their lips. <laughs> I've never heard them complain. So you think it's me? Did you have a good time or not? That's the important thing. I mean, it progressed, didn't it? I never should have stayed. Oh, so things progressed. Yes. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, Bert. 
if you could have seen her grimace. She grimaced during the progression? At the height of the progression, yes. She had this contorted smile full of distress. Oh, Jesus, Bert. You think it was your technique? Oh, how should I know? I'm sure she had a good time. Like I was stabbing her with a pitchfork. <laughs> I'm sure it was worse for you than it was for her. It's not easy to stop. Stop what? So you kept going? Of course I kept going. There was no way I... What was I supposed to do? So you finished. I wasn't going to insult her by not finishing. And then what? And then she got up and put on her robe and started watering her plants. Wow. Yeah. Whew, it's a tough neighborhood, Wicker Park. I should have jumped out the window. I'm sure it wasn't that bad. What the hell were they doing there? Who? The sparrows. Well, they singled me out. Don't take it personal. It's like this morning. I'm downtown. There's 20 people on the corner and a homeless comes. I'm about ready for the showers, Bert. 20 people, but I'm the only one he sees. Well, they time it with the don't walk signals. No, he could care less about any signals. He's decided he's going to touch a person in this crowd, and he comes for me. Everybody gets approached. I got handled. You gotta avoid eye contact. And you know what the worst part is? I didn't have enough money to give him. I never give him money. Oh, I gave him all the bills I had in my wallet. All of them. 27 bucks. You think that's crazy? Well, I always give him a little something, but there's no problem with that. Well, you're lucky, Mitch. You don't see a problem with the sparrows, either. You know what else bothers me? And maybe it's none of my business, but they don't even look each other in the eyes when they make love. I've noticed the same thing. Sometimes I see them near the tracks or in the park. They do it in plain view. Yeah, it's like they don't care for privacy. It's like they don't see us. I can't stand to watch. It's like they don't hear us. I don't watch. I can't watch. Impossible to watch. You've never seen anything so intimate. It's beyond intimate. They want to scream. That's what I'm telling you. I've heard them scream. You gotta avoid eye contact. You have to cover your ears with your hands. You shield your eyes. Your hands are useless. Sometimes there's a child who points it out. A child? He just points. It's impolite. It's beyond impolite. But you tell him it's impolite. You've got to tell him something. Words are pointless. Sometimes they just keep going, despite it all. That's what I don't understand. Even they don't understand. They only know how they feel. They want to be held. They'll hold anything. I know that feeling. It's repulsive. It's beyond repulsive. You must have wanted to hold her. Patty? After what happened? I don't know what happened. <sighs> so you didn't hold her? No. I gotta hand it to you, Bert. I don't know how you managed to get it through a brunch like that. It's a tough neighborhood. It's beyond tough. Hand me that water, will you? It's really beyond tough, isn't it? Serves him right. Bam, bam, thank you, nothing. Don't men know anything? Apparently not. Hey. Sparrows can be very confusing. Hey, he's got a point. They'll say anything, won't they? The cad. What that woman must be thinking. Mm. Women. 
like we're mind readers or something. Speaking of the minds of women, this story might just shed a little light on that subject. So listen up and find out with our first story by Mary Therese Cazola. MT is a Chicago writer and performer. 73% of what she writes is true, and the rest is probably just a misunderstanding. <laughs> This is called Out of the Mouths of Small Greek Gods. It would be different if we were in love. That was the moment. I lay still the rest of the night playing it over and over in my head, trying to make sense of something that had been perfectly clear all along, from the moment we met, in fact. He kept bringing up this one conversation with his gay neighbor how the neighbor had invited him over for a beer, and it was cool, but how when he was leaving, the neighbor asked if he was gay. Do I seem gay to you, he asked me. I mean, it's not like I care, I'm just curious, you know, if I give off some kind of vibe. <laughs> you don't seem gay or not gay, I said, trying to embody both boyish cool and girlish charm all in one easy-to-open package. Did he seem gay? Maybe, if you count being more beautiful than most women I've ever seen, a measure of gender identification. He looked like a Greek god. You know, like the same straight nose and chiseled chin and the short, full upper lip. But he was smaller and more golden. Light hair instead of dark and blue eyes instead of brown. And we were exactly the same height. Did I seem heterosexual or married? I'd said some vows a few years back and hadn't broken any yet. I did all of the laundry and met most of my sexual obligations. And in my opinion, it was my husband's fault that I had met the Greek god in the first place. We had moved to Indianapolis a few years back for his job, and now we were back in Chicago trying, well, sort of trying. Well, no, not really trying at all to fix our marriage. We were just being married. Uh, you want to eat at the table tonight? Nah, let's just watch TV. So, when my one friend from Indy came to town and wanted to meet up to talk over old times, my husband wasn't interested, and I felt perfectly justified in going by myself. And that's where I met my friend's other Chicago friend, the Greek god. He smoked, and suddenly I smoked. <laughs> We smoked and drank and played pool, and for the first time since losing my virginity 10 years back, I wanted to lose my virginity. <laughs> the way he looked at me when he handed me the pool cue, and the way he laughed at my little asides no one else seemed to hear, and the way he hugged me at the end and said, yeah, we should hang out. Yeah. The first time we met at that same bar, We'd sit and smoke, and I'd run to the ladies' room and hope that I looked pretty enough to be seen with him. Then he started having me meet him at his apartment in Boys Town. He pointed <laughs> to the window of his gay neighbor. I'd still hang out with him. It's no big deal. You know, it just makes me wonder if I'm giving off some kind of vibe. Maybe to some people. That night we kissed for the first time. It wasn't cheating. I didn't feel it was cheating because I had been born for this. Born for his lips and, and his eyes and his touch. 
I did get a little annoyed when he kept bringing up the thing with the one with the gay neighbor or his other two topics of conversation, a get-rich-quick scheme that had something to do with truck stops and (laughs) his ongoing fight with his dad. But I would just listen and nod and try to look androgynous. And the first time I stayed over, it was like someone had installed Christmas lights across my whole body, around every limb from the inside. We didn't do the actual act. We always stopped. So in my mind, it wasn't actual cheating. Then my husband and I had another fight about kids. But that's the whole point of being here, to have kids. Well, then what's the point of our kids being here? To have kids. Well, then, what's the point? You know, maybe you should move in with your parents for a while. When I told the Greek god, I played it totally cool. I mean, he did have a huge three-bedroom apartment and only one roommate, but I wasn't asking. And I finally felt fully free, you know, to want what I wanted. And that night, when we got to the part where we usually stop, I said, no, it's okay, I want to. Well, I want to, too, but we've been having so much fun. I mean, this means a lot to me. It means a lot to me, too. Well, I mean, you are still married. Well, yeah, I mean, technically I am, but... No, no, it's okay. It's just, you know, it'd be different if we were in love. What had be been doing if not falling in love? I mean, that's what made it different, right? That's what made it okay. You're right, I said. You're absolutely right. And I got up off the floor where I'd been sitting since the talking started, and we went to sleep. Or rather, he went to sleep. I held myself absolutely still away from him. I didn't want one cell of my body to touch his, one cell of my greedy, cheating, uncherished body. Also, I held out a slight hope that he might sense my absence and reconsider. But no. He just started snoring, like a Greek god whose loyal servant checks on him in the night. And in the morning, we smoked a cigarette, casual as ever. It was a new world I had stepped into, the world of being a sexually alive, grown-up woman. And out of the mouths of small Greek gods came my mantra for getting out of my marriage, for getting out of every post-divorce relationship that didn't feel right and for getting my heart broken for the first time. It would be different if we were in love. And that was M.T. Cazola. So, Miss Kitten, I hear you had a date last night. Yes, yes, in fact, I did. Well? Well, let's say he was no prince. But he did open the door for me. That was nice, but then he closed it and stayed on the other side. No, no, it's fine, really. The spinach in his teeth was making me green around the gills. Speaking of princes, it's time for tonight's Meaningfully Meaningless Minute. A piece of odd information. That may or may not change your life. It could be true. Or it could be an urban legend. You can always follow up if you care to. All we know is we heard it, or read it, or found it meaningful. As well as meaningless. Tonight's minute concerns 
Cinderella. Cinderella, please. No excuse for Cinderella. Like we should all wait around for some prince. Huh. Or a fairy godmother. Yeah, like where's mine? Moving on. Did you know that Cinderella's slippers were not made of glass? What? what? They were made of fur. Squirrel fur. <laughs> when the writer was translating the story from French back in the 17th century... He misheard the word ver, spelled V-A-I-R, which is squirrel fur, for the familiar sounding ver, V-E-R-R-E, or glass. In the original medieval tale, the slippers are described as pontoufle de ver, slippers of squirrel's fur. Also in the original tale, which is far more heartbreaking, the sisters cut off their toes oh. to try on the slippers. There is no fairy godmother. That is not true. And after the wedding, the king punished them and the wicked stepmother by making them dance themselves to death wearing red hot iron boots. Oh, oh stop it. You're so ruining it. Thanks for bursting that bubble, Herzovi. Hey, we're all about bursting bubbles tonight, aren't we? Maybe it's time we lighten things up a bit. Once again... Time and trouble. Gee, it's so sweet to slip between the sheets with you. One day is through. Hey, did you make that payment to the bank today. Well, that's okay. I don't know why I'm this tired. Don't know why I feel so blue. You've been so nice about it, put Book down, sweetheart. I'm talking to you. my brow We had our fight and lay awake last night till three Hard to believe So many meals made together So many plans to work through
Thank you. Lovely. Now that's a song about love. And beds. I love songs about beds. They always cheer me up. Yes, nothing beats a good bed. (sighs) Keeping up with the theme of cheering things up around here, who likes bowling? Who likes beer? Well, if you like bowling and beer, our next story has both. Sort of. Last Call by James McClendon. James McClendon is a Northampton playwright who still misses East Rogers Park. A working class bar. Melissa, smiling a little too much, sits on a stool turned outward to meet people. An untouched beer sits in front of her next to a bowling bag. Kevin comes up to the bar. Hey, bartender, can I... Yeah, fine, go talk to the hot girl. Hi. 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 Want to know what's in the bag? A bowling ball? Nope. Then I don't know. Hey, bartender! Well, how could you, because I'm the only one who does. Bartender, come on. What are you drinking? I'm not drinking anything, that's the problem. Well, have this one. Oh, go ahead, it hasn't been touched. What, you don't want it? Oh, I don't drink. You're sitting in a bar with a beer and you don't drink? I know, what are the odds, right? (laughs) Well, to tell you the truth, it it, it frightens me. Alcoholism and all, I've seen it. It, It's so, so terrible. Well, if it's not yours, isn't whoever it belongs to going to be mad? No, he's gone. And he's not coming back. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, well... Go for it. It's an IPA, my dad's favorite. Yeah, you know, uh, but, but if your friend comes back and here I am drinking his beer with his girl, uh, I'm just going to get my own. Suit yourself. You know, back in the day, everyone drank American lagers, which were really just German lagers with all the taste removed. <laughs> then microbreweries came along, and, and all they seem to make are IPAs, because people think that they like them. But if you ask me, they're just mistaking the bitterness for taste. Probably because drinkers are all, by definition, impaired. <laughs> what kind of beer do you like? IPAs. Uh, oops. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> My dad and I would have these terrible arguments about IPAs. How could you fight with your dad about beer when you don't drink? Oh, that's what he said. <laughs> oh, only more colorfully, which is a nice way of saying that he swore like a drunken sailor even though he was just a drunken middle manager. Okay, I, I admit uh, the bait was kind of theoretical on my part. But you can't know anything about beer if you don't drink. Oh, you can know tons. Well, Dad taught me some, but to really keep up with him, I had to read the trade publications. American Brewer, All About Beer, Beverage World, once... Oh, my God. (laughs) I subscribed to Liquid Magazine, thinking it must be about the beverage industry, right? (laughs) When, in fact, it's a periodical aimed at upwardly mobile African-American men. And on that count, I am 0 for 3 being neither upwardly mobile, African-American, or male. (laughs) It really should come with a disclaimer. Why do you want to keep up with your dad about beer? Love. I guess. Beer is 
pretty much what he does. Some guys, it's baseball. Some guys, it's cars. With him, it's harpoon. But our fights weren't usually about what he was drinking, just about how much. You're the only person I've ever met who'd rather read about alcohol than drink it. <laughs> well, I'm a reader, and naturally inquisitive, unlike you. You don't know anything about me. Well, I know you're not all, so what's in the bag, Melissa? I'm Melissa, what's your name? Uh, Kevin. Oh, what's in the bag, Melissa? That's what I'd be saying if I were you, Kevin, because I'm naturally inquisitive. Okay, okay, what's in your damn bag? Wow. I, I'm not sure I want to tell you now. Fine. Yo, bartender! I mean, it might freak you out. Bartender! Oh, come on! Just take this one. I don't want your damn beer. You ask me what's in the bag, and, and then you won't tell me. Bartender! No, no, no. You see, you, you, you don't care. I need someone who really cares. Why would anyone care what's in your bowling bag? Anyone with feelings would care. Well, sorry. I guess I'm just an unfeeling <laughs> prick then. <laughs> Are you crying? <laughs> oh, God, come on. I, I, I did... I didn't mean... I didn't mean I don't care. I, I'll, I'll try to care, okay? Here, have a napkin. But how much can I care if you won't even tell me what's in it? God, no, you're right. I, I, I'm not really being fair, am I? Exactly. So, you know, why don't you just tell me? The thing is, once I tell you, I'm going to ask you to do something. <laughs> something very personal. And I don't want you to freak out. What? Oh! Oh! Uh, no. Um, I, 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 I promise I, I would never freak out. <laughs> You're pretty cute. What? You're cute. I, I thought you meant... What? Oh my God, did you think that I was coming on to you? No, no, not at all. Jesus, no. Oh my God, how warped are you that you would try to take advantage of my condition? Your condition? I thought you said you didn't drink. Oh, forget about it. Just forget it. Okay, forget it. You're the one who brought it up. Psycho. Bartender! His name is Aiden. Can I have a glass of water, Aiden? Yeah, good luck with You're that. Coming up, Melissa. <laughs> what? How come he listens to you? Thanks, Aiden. Oh, he listens to everybody. He's a bartender. Hey, Aiden! Uh, can I get a drink? Uh, don't just ignore... Come back here! Well, why'd he come over for you? Oh, he knows me. This was my father's favorite bar. Well, how come he didn't call him over for me before? Because then you would have gotten your stupid IPA and left. I thought you wanted me to leave now. Oh, why would I want that? Oh, God, you're right. I am totally confusing you. I, I'm so not at my best today. Okay, you really want to know what's in the bowling bag? Yes, what's in your frickin' bag? My father. What about him? He's in the bag. <laughs> was he a dwarf? <laughs> he was six foot one. Then how... Oh my God. 
did you dismember your father? See, this is exactly what I was afraid of. You did? You killed him? And you brought his head into a bar? Did it freak out? You did. I mean, well, that explained everything. Why you're so... Distraught? I was thinking more crazy. My father passed away last week. These are his ashes. Oh, thank God. Thank God my father's dead? Oh, crap. No, no I, please don't cry. I, I didn't mean thank God. I meant thank God in the context of... Oh, God. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm so, so sorry. Uh, that must really, really suck. Do you just, like... Need someone else to know? I need someone else to care. One person caring just isn't enough. <laughs> no, I, I know. It's not. Have another napkin. Look, I, I care, okay? I care now. I really do. Thank you. This has been so hard. I, I'm his only family, and, and, and I don't know anyone in Chicago. No, no. You know Aiden, and now you know me. So was it sudden? Cirrhosis of the liver isn't sudden. Like I said, this was his favorite place. He loved that they still had sawdust on the floor. Oh yeah, I guess it's pretty quaint. He's at a really cushions a fall. <laughs> His last wish was that I scatter his ashes here, amidst the sawdust he loved so well. Are you really allowed to scatter human remains, you know, where they serve food and stuff? <laughs> oh, it's totally illegal. American Beverage did a two-part series on it last year. Apparently, it comes up a lot. <laughs> Aiden can't help directly because he could get fired, but he's been ignoring you to give me time to ask you to help. How can I help? These two Ziploc bags of gray ash? Well, that's all that's left of Dad. I put one in each pocket. Hey, wait, they're open. Your dad's gonna leak out in your pockets. That's the idea. My dad's favorite movie was The Great Escape. These, these POWs are tunneling out of a prison camp and, and they have to get rid of all the dirt. I've cut holes in my pockets just like they did. And now I just have to walk around and you know, shake a little bit. So what do I do? Well, dad tends to drift into piles. <laughs> At least the sand I practiced with did. Uh, so I need you to kind of smooth him out with your shoes so it's not so obvious. Really? He he'll come right off, according to American Beverage. <laughs> Please, Kevin, you're my only hope. Yeah, sure. You know he's just going to get swept up. He knew that. He just wanted to lie here for a while and soak things up. Right, right, the atmosphere of his favorite bar. He meant the spilled beer. He really loved beer. Right. Well, let's do it. Okay. Goodbye, Dad. 
Here we go. Is it working? You're like a sander in a snowstorm. Thank you, Kevin. I don't think I could have done this without you. Yeah, you could have. But you don't have to. Guitar. Chocolate chip cookies? Well, I love a good vodka gimlet, straight up shaken, not stirred. Hey, what about me? All right. Herzovi, what do you love? Fishing. For what? <laughs> Next up, a story about fishing for such things <clears throat> from our very own Michael Herzovi. Michael began voice acting in a sixth grade puppet version of the Snow Queen. After years of beating around the bush, he started writing short plays and long monologues. He hopes one day to have a solo show in the style of Spalding Gray, where he can just sit at a table and read aloud. Here he is with Fishing Expedition. The other day I was riding the bus and this woman got on. 19, 20 years old. And she came and stood in front of me, turned kind of sideways, looking out the window. When I ride the bus, my wheelchair fits in a space right behind the driver. To my right, I can see everybody that gets on the bus. Here's the thing. If she hadn't been standing right in front of me, or if she'd been facing the other way, or standing across the aisle, it wouldn't have got me thinking. She was wearing this little white t-shirt, and her belly button was showing. And whenever I looked over, every time the door opened, there it was. I do I, so to speak. No big deal, I've seen belly buttons before. It was an innie. <laughs> but the pants she was wearing, well, I guess you'd call them hip huggers or low riders or, I don't know what you'd call them. But from her belly button to the waist of her pants, was the longest expanse of bare skin I'd ever seen of a woman's body that close up. It was very nice, very smooth. Don't get me wrong, nothing was showing that shouldn't have been showing. There was just so much skin. I had no idea that there could be that much body down there before, you know, I just, wow. After a few stops, she moved further toward the back of the bus, and I never saw her again. But I couldn't stop thinking about her. I realized I know absolutely nothing about women's bodies. You know the saying, been there, done that. Well, I haven't been there. No wheelchair access, I guess. <laughs> I'm an intelligent guy. Women have told me I'm smart, funny, charming, attractive. At least four women have told me this. 
I feel like that guy who goes fishing, and he's got that vest with all the loops and pockets, and he's got the hat with all the lures stuck on it, and he's got the net under one arm, and he's got four or five poles in his hand, and he goes out on the lake, and he's out there for hours, and finally he comes back in, and he goes to the store, and he buys himself a TV dinner, and he goes home. It hasn't always been like this. I used to go fishing every weekend. And all around me, guys would be catching fish. There'd be a guy over there with two or three little bluegills. Somebody up ahead would have a bass he'd keep reeling in. And way over there, there'd be a guy working for hours and end up going home with a record-breaking northern. And I'd sit there looking around, every now and then check my hooks, make sure they're okay. And then it would be time to come back in and I'd think, well, nothing this weekend. That's okay. I know they're out there. I saw them. <laughs> and once in a while, I got a bite, a little nibble here and there, and I think, yeah, all right, fishing. <laughs> but as time went on and I kept coming back empty-handed, I started to wonder what I was doing wrong. When I was a younger fisherman, I did not fish for trophy or for sport. To me, it was a quest. If I kept at it and was pure of heart, brave and true, and never gave up, I would catch that one great catch. Two or three times I got a little tug on the line, and then I'd reel it in slow, not so hard they feel the hook, but not so soft they wander off. But with me though, somewhere in the reeling in, they just let go of the hook. They said, I respect you too much to get in your boat. <laughs> And after declaring their respect and admiration, they dove deep, never to be seen again. One time I almost had it. I threw out a line, and right away I got a look, a smile, a little nibble. I remembered why I go fishing in the first place. I let line out, I took it in. She was zigging and zagging, going under the boat, going around the boat. I worked like crazy so the line didn't get tangled. It took months. <laughs> and in the meanwhile, I wasn't looking to catch anything else. This was it, because I thought it was a good catch. And I got to where I thought it was the right time to set the hook, and I got in position and everything was just right, and then, I respect you too much to get in your boat. And she dove deep, never to be seen again. And you know, every now and then someone will say, just get a guide, a professional who knows the ropes. <laughs> give you some tips, teach you a thing or two. And that's a good idea, I suppose. But what if I get a guide and we go out and it's great? Everything works. But then I go out on my own and I get nothing. After a few weeks of coming home empty, I'm gonna wanna get some new tips get my confidence up. Next thing you know, I'm the one that's hooked. But lately, the past few years, I haven't gone out very much. The minnow bucket's hanging on a nail in the shed, the fishing poles are all stacked neatly, and the boat, well, the boat's up on blocks, all covered up so it stays dry. I think maybe my fishing days are over, and that's okay. Well, not really, but it is perfectly possible to live a healthy, productive life and be completely fishless. Don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-fish. But it's a lot of work. Now, 
if there is a catch out there with my name on it, she's going to have to swim right up to the beach and land on my feet. Because I'm tired of fishing. Still, sometimes, when the summer breeze blows, when the sun sparkles off the blue of the lake, when a pretty girl gets on the bus, I think maybe one of these days, I'll take the boat out again. Wish me luck. Hey, you sly dog, you. Well, you know, I mean, it's just... We're not animals, you know. Yeah, speak for yourself. Hey, aren't we all animals out fishing, really, at least uh, from time to time? Well, there are rules about fishing. I mean, you need a license to fish and hunt and drive. You should have to have a license to look for a mate. Oh, it sounds like somebody likes to play by the rules. Of course. Otherwise, people get hurt. But sometimes bending the rules can be very exciting, don't you think, audience? Once again, ladies and gentlemen, here's time and trouble.
Oh, oh, bending the rules, kind of dangerous. I love danger, it's such a turn on. Don't you think, boys? Mm-hmm. It's overrated. <laughs> well, especially when it blows up in her face, yes. Up next, a goose who makes a date with danger and, well, you'll see. Goose Noir by Wendy Schmidt. Wendy Schmidt is a Chicago playwright who has spent an inordinate amount of time observing North American waterfowl. Guilty pleasures include anthropomorphism and jalapeno Cheetos. I never thought I'd be the type to stray from my marriage. Geese mate for life, see? I knew a guy, wife took a bullet during hunting season. A year later we found him, wandering the same field, calling for her. Yeah, we're monogamous types, all right. We don't stray from our mates, and we never stray from our species. But this dame, this dame. My wife Sonia and I had been happy. Oh, I love you, Billy. We'd been together going on six years, and there was nothing we hadn't done together. We spent our summers on the lakes of Ontario. Come fall, we'd fly into the cornfields of the upper Midwest. And in the winter, it was Arkansas. Oh, I love Arkansas. Yes, the sun in her face, the society parties. Everyone who was anyone wintered in Arkansas. And so did we. So how was the fly? Well, I do love what you've done with your feathers. Had a little turbulence around Champaign-Urbana. Oh, the seaweed pate hot dishes to die for, Peggy. Have you taken a gander at the windmills they put up outside of Branson? We raised four broods of goslings together, Sonia and I. Yes, Sonia and I had been happy. But then there was this dame. She was a pigeon. Her feathers were the color of the ocean off the coast of Mexico. Her body had more curves than a mountain road from 2,000 feet. She had a face like a porcelain doll. And when you looked into her eyes, it was like flying over Niagara Falls for the very first time. She was a pigeon, but she was all woman. <laughs> I'm not sure why Sonia and I decided to fly into Chicago this summer. Sonia wanted to see something different. She had a cousin who had moved into the city some months ago, and she wanted to see what city geese were like. Oh, Billy, are those skyscrapers? Yeah, those were skyscrapers. Give me a cornfield any day, but Sonia was pretty excited. We landed on the grass at Montrose Harbor after 14 hours in the air. We were exhausted. Being the gander, I offered to stand watch first while Sonia got some shut-eye. Sonia settled in and put her head on her wing. I scanned the lake, the nearby lawns, the parking lot for any sign of threat. And then I saw her. 
pecking at some breadcrumbs one of the tourists had dropped. Her beak jabbed at the crumbs, and it was like a freight train jabbing into my heart. I'd explain why she attracted me that way, but you can't explain the sun. When she looked up, it was like being sucked into a tornado, spinning around a few times, getting motion sickness, trying not to throw up, and then being set down in a bean field six counties away. I knew it was wrong. I sauntered over. She was coy at first, but then she said, Say, would you like to see what a Chicago alleyway looks like? I know a great place for stale croutons. I couldn't resist. Her voice sounded like a symphony, and her head kept bobbing like a very sexy breakdancer. We flew over what seemed like miles of black lawns baking in the sun. Those are rooftops. I almost got caught in a telephone wire gazing at her tail feathers. Look out! Her voice was like a cowbell on steroids. We descended into an alley. There was a Chinese joint on the right, an Italian joint on the left. We landed in the middle. It was dark. It was a glow of candles coming from a window. We pecked at the croutons. I'd never tasted anything like it. As we ate, I moved in closer to her. You could cut the tension with a V formation. <laughs> Finally, our wings touched. And then it happened. I was busy near a telephone pole and I spied something that looked like green corn. It smelled good. So I took a taste. No! <coughs> What's wrong? That's rat poison. Oh, is it? You can't eat that. It kills rats. She took me to a puddle to get a drink. I drank. We both drank. We were like nomads dying of thirst in the desert. But it was too late. I knew it when the knife pain started in my gut. It was like when a female goose lays an egg. Or so I imagine, based on what Sonia had told me. I tried to fly, but it was no use. I staggered down the alley. I'll go for help. But I knew she wasn't coming back. Pigeons like that never come back, do they? I'm not feeling so good right now. Not good at all. This old alley's looking blurry and I'm, I'm finding it hard to waddle. Oh, Sonia! I'll never see you again. By now you've woken up at Montrose Harbor and you're calling for me. I wish I could get a message to you. I wish I could tell you what happened. Sonia! I want you to know however stupid I've been. Oh. However dumb I've been. Oh. 
I loved you, Sonia. I've always loved you. And I always will. Whatever, fine. fine. And now for the final take on matters of the heart. Specifically, keeping it beating. We uh-huh. give you the next episode of The Adventures of Skater Girl by Trina Kakasik. Trina got her start in the theater on Chicago's North Side at the age of nine in the world-famous theater of my own backyard and remains active <laughs> in backyard productions to this day. Previously, in the first episode of The Adventures of Skater Girl... We met our heroine, Skater Girl, for the first time. And learned how she was, quite tragically, born with a very old heart in her very young body. We also learned of the sick list. Or bucket list. In that same episode, Skater Girl... That's me. ...wore her ice skates to Buckingham Fountain because it was snowing in July. And ice skating on Buckingham Fountain in July was the last item on my sick list. There, she met an old man who caught an Asian carp in that very fountain. The carp's name was Q, and it turned out even Q, the carp, had a list. The next item being, I want to fly with the wings in the sky. Then, because my list was complete, my heart almost stopped beating. But luckily, just as my heart rate monitor was going to beep its last, I wrote another item on my list, and my heart started beating again. It was then I learned of my true mission. Then she introduced the old man and her grandma. For the next thing on the old man's list, which was reading... I can't read because my eyes are bad. And the next thing on grandma's list... Which was to read War and Peace out loud and have someone listen. (laughs) We're kind of connected. And my list was once again complete. (gasps) And my heart went slower and slower. That is until Q, that's the carp, saved the day by saying, Someone, help me find my wings, please. And I wrote, find the wings of a fish on my list. And my heart became lighter. For it was widely known, finding wings for a fish could take an eternity. And that is where we join Skater Girl today on her journey to find (laughs) wings for a fish. Her ongoing mission to explore new worlds, to create new lists, and to add items where no items had existed before. All in the name of keeping hearts beating. So, as Skater Girl and the carp head out to search for the carp's wings, Grandma and the old man begin a journey of their own. Stop worrying, old man. Listen now, I will read to you. But her very old heart, what if it should burst? Oh, as long as she has her list and blood to write with, her heart will not burst. But now we shall read. Let us dance first. Dance? Oh, why, I can't remember the last time I danced. And while we're dancing, we can start a new list. A list of things we must do together. Like a bicycle built for two, we will add laughing and dancing. And reading. And reading. And what not? What not? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we danced 
First in the park, then beneath the tree, under the light of the moon, our hearts light as feathers. So tell me, my dear, how her very old heart came to be so old. Just the way she was born, I suppose. And every time we try to find her a new heart, she turns it down. I guess we just haven't found the right one yet. Mm, How tragic. And with that, I added a new item to my list. So, after a time looking for wings here and there, Fish and the Skitter Girl realize... That to find wings, one must climb to high places, so... We find nearest tree. She hoists me on her back, and we climb it. Oh, look, an apple! And I reach forward to take it, and ouch! I didn't know apples could bite. Very soon, an inchworm peeks out from behind the apple and says... Hey, what are you doing up here? Why did you bite me? I'm a parasite! It's in my job description! If you keep shouting, people will think you are angry. Are you angry? Of course. I'm an inchworm. My life is ever hanging by a thread. Watch out! He could be dangerous. Don't be silly. He's adorable. What's your name? Francis. Francis with an I or an E? Today an I. Tomorrow an E. I can't write or spell, so it doesn't make doesn't really matter, does it? Well, Francis with an I sometimes E, might I suggest a list? Bet my list is already longer than yours. How lucky for you, mine is rather short. Short list, short life. So, the most elusive thing on your list. Silly girl, I would like legs a mile long so that my life could be measured in leaps. Then I shall take over the world. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Parasites tend toward infestations of sorts. Also in the job description. Sorts? What sorts? You name it, we infest it. I could take over either of you quite easily. Quite heartless for such a tiny thing. That's because I am heartless. Oh, dear. How positively horrible. Then we'll have to add that to our list, won't we? Right under wings for a fish, a heart for a worm. No! I refuse to have a heart, for with a heart, life must have purpose. It's much simpler to go along without one. You do believe in love, don't you? (laughs) Love! Ha! No time for such things. We worms are a bitter lot that eats away at life, sucking away whatever dreams you might have. We are the wicked witch, the troll under the bridge, the gremlin under the bed. Why, a troll could squash you under his boot. Too small, am I? Some of the greatest villains in the world were in our diminutive E. coli, Streptococcus, Napoleon, Hitler. All heartless. Destruction is the duty of the heartless. My weapons, this mouth, and extraordinarily deep pockets. Yes, that's right. I have pockets! Pockets lined with all manner of the unexpected, bottomless with a venom of longing and envy and destructive thread. What lies in the pockets of heartless worms like me is enough to chill the soul of man. Well, we'll just have to change your mind about love. And as I leaned in to give him a kiss... No, no, stay back, stay back! No kissing! A a gust of wind came by and took the inchworm from the tree, leaving me with nothing but the tiniest 
best set of teeth marks I've ever seen. You should wash with soap. How could anything so small do any harm? And as we climb down tree, I tell Skater Girl story of things small but dangerous that eat away at our dreams when we're not looking. Things like popcorn and how respected grandmother lost three children to popcorn and how popcorn is bait and how we no eat popcorn ever out of respect to the dead children of grandmother. Popcorn, one of many tiny devils in disguise. Miniature grim reaper without sickle. Bite-sized angel of death with no wings. And as he spoke, the teeth marks grew, so I added wash with soap to my list. As we traveled on to higher places, look, there, on the ledge. Oh, you mean way up there? Is that a... Why, it looks like an incredibly handsome young man. Oh dear, I hope he doesn't fall. And what's that ticking in his hand? Oh, if only I had those wings. We must save him. So off they went to climb the building and to save this young man standing on the ledge. And as they got closer and closer, they could see he was... Crying. And there you have it, folks. Keep an ear out for our next show to find the answers to... Will Skater Girl get to the young man in time? Will the bite from the heartless worm stop growing? What did the old man add to his list? Will this old man ever let me read anything? <laughs> Why is that man crying on the ledge and whatever is that ticking in his hand? To hear the first episode of The Adventures of Skater Girl, just visit our website, smallfishradio.com or head over to iTunes. And that's all she wrote. Well, later this spring, you can find this podcast free. Just head over to iTunes, Small Fish Radio, look it up. Or on our website, smallfishradio.com. And check us out on Facebook. Click the thumbs up and tell us you like us if it hasn't done it tonight. And tell your friends, too. Small Fish Radio Theater, giving voice to small fish in the big pond. If you're a small fish, head over to our submissions page. And do write something for us. Tonight's program has featured the talents of Kat Bean, Michael Herzovi, Joy Cherbornson Coates, M.T. Cazola, <laughs> Time and Trouble, and Michael John Kelly. Directing and sound design by Trina Kikese. Small Fish Radio Theater would like to thank Playwrights Pub, Chicago Dramatist, and Sound Advisor Max Kikese. Special thanks to Chicagoland Methodist Senior Services for providing us with rehearsal space. Small Fish Radio Theater is produced by Michael John Kelly and Trina Kikese. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you. Good night.